Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, Amazon announces they are entering the thin client market. Google may have wiped months worth of Google Drive data for some users, and a country's critical infrastructure was hit by ransomware. As always, the podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, and that includes Policy Pack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights and manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end to end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Amazon have announced Amazon's Workspace's Thin Client. The Thin Client is actually a Fire TV Cube, so if you're familiar with the Fire TV Cube offering, it looks exactly like that. It comes with a 2 gig LPDDR4 RAM and 16 gigs of storage. There's an ARM processor with eight cores, including four running up at 2.2 gigahertz. So identical, according to Ars Technica, to the specs of a Fire TV Cube as well. Amazon said its thin client targets businesses with high employee turnover, such as call and payment processing centers, where AWS customers say it can be hard to recover expensive work issued devices. So they talk about how frequent it is for organizations to hand over laptops to employees, and then they simply don't get the laptops back after the employment is terminated. And they talk about the cost that is incurred through that. So something like this, a simple thin client device that should be relatively secure and can't be used by an employee for something else really, Uh, and at a much lower cost point should reduce waste and needless expense for organizations. And the Amazon Workspace's Thin Client starts at $195, and it suggests that support is for Amazon Workspaces, Amazon Workspaces Web, or Amazon AppStream version 2, with multiple options for managing user identities and credentials using Active Directory. So that is one massive shortcoming as far as I could see, is that it's only supporting Amazon platforms. So if a customer is using maybe AppStream 2 today, uh, but next year they decide to go with an alternative, maybe Citrix DAS or something like that, uh, these thin clients could become redundant. So I'd be interested to see if they simply pivot and support other protocols or other agents too. It's not outside the realms of possibility. Some Google Drive users have been reporting they have lost months worth of files with the state of their Google Drive reverting to its state from May 2023, so months ago. Uh, Google has a post up on the Google Drive help form, more or less acknowledging the issue according to Ars Technica. The post is titled Drive for Desktop version uh, 84.0.0-84.0.4.0 sync issue. And it says that they're investigating reports of an issue impacting a limited subset of Drive for desktop users and will follow up with more updates. 
Google added an ominous list of things to not do in the meantime. The list of things to not do in the meantime includes do not click disconnect account within Drive for Desktop, do not delete or move the app data folder, and they suggest if you have room on your hard drive, make a copy of the app data folder. So it seems like it might be inevitable that if you do any of those things, you're going to lose your data. So definitely that last one, make a copy of the app data folder because inevitably one of those events is likely to happen at some point and they may be preparing you for that to happen. Maybe they'll get a fix out uh, to address it. So people who have not completed any of those actions will be protected in future, but best to take a copy if you're a heavy Google Drive user. BleepyComputer.com has reported that Google have patched the sixth zero-day vulnerability in Chrome this year. This one is CVE-2023-6345 and has been patched with the new version 119.0.6045.199 or .200 for Windows. And Mac and Linux users will get it with 119.0.6045.199. The zero-day vulnerability reportedly stems from an integer overflow weakness within the Skia open-source 2D graphics library that poses risks ranging from crashes to the execution of arbitrary code. As usual, Google is a little short on the technical details here, but they have suggested that there is an exploit in the wild for this, so this is one that will be seized upon by CyberGang, so best to make sure you're on the latest version of Chrome. Personal Desktop Autoscale on Azure Virtual Desktop is now generally available. Organizations with personal host pools can optimize costs by shutting down or hibernating idle session hosts while ensuring that session hosts can be started when needed. It's available in most regions. I'm not going to name out the entire list of regions because it is quite extensive. And you can use the Azure Portal REST API PowerShell to enable and manage Personal Desktop Autoscale. They said that hibernation is available as a scaling action, but in preview currently. So if you're an Azure Virtual Desktop Administrator or user, this is one that might interest you. Microsoft have shared a temporary fix for a known issue causing Outlook Desktop to crash when sending emails from Outlook.com accounts. Outlook for Microsoft 365 and those using build 17029 Point two zero zero two eight may be affected by this issue, and if you are affected by this issue, you can reinstall to an earlier version. And BleepyComputer.com have shared command lines to downgrade if you would like to do that, and this is actually affecting you. Uh, you can see those in the YouTube edition of this episode, which is episode 310, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com, or you can find the link to the article that contains the command lines uh, with this episode again, which is episode 310. BleepyComputer.com have reported on a malware named SysJoker, which has a new Rust-based variant. The malware employs random sleep intervals and complex custom encryption for code strings to evade detection and analysis. On the first launch, it performs registry modification for persistence using PowerShell and exits. Upon later executions, it establishes communications with the command and control server and the address for which it retrieves from a OneDrive URL. SysJoker's primary role is to fetch and load additional payloads on the compromised system directed via the reception of JSON encoded commands. And while the malware still collects system information like OS version, username, MAC address, etc., and sends it to the command server, 
it lacks the command execution capabilities seen with previous versions of the SysJoker malware. This might return in a future release or it may have been stripped back by the developers to make it lighter and stealthier and easier to go undetected. BleepyComputer.com reports that the Cyber Gang is a Hamas-affiliated threat group known as Gaza Cyber Gang. What is particularly interesting to me is the fact that this is a Rust-based variant moving on from their earlier iterations of being um, C++-focused. And obviously, if you follow the podcast, uh, you'll be aware that Microsoft is replacing some of the Windows OS code uh, with Rust-based alternatives. So it's interesting to see Rust being used as a threat vector. It was a bad few days for ransomware attacks with a couple of high-profile victims. First, a Slovenian power company called Holding Slovensk Elektrarn, who are responsible for 60% of Slovenia's energy production, confirmed they've been hit by ransomware. The director of the Information Security Office told the media that all power generation operations remained unaffected by the large-scale cyber attack but still IT systems and files were locked by a quote, crypto virus. So while operations are unaffected, it seems, which is great news, this is a very high profile target as this is obviously a nation's critical infrastructure. In another high profile ransomware attack, Ardent Health Services, a healthcare provider operating 30 hospitals across six states in the United States, disclosed its systems were hit by a ransomware attack. After the incident, it had to take its entire network offline, notify law enforcement and hire external experts to investigate the attack's extent and impact. Impacted hospitals are reportedly diverting all patients requiring emergency care to other hospitals in their area. However, they can still provide medical screening and stabilizing care to patients arriving at the emergency rooms. Arden's teams will directly contact individuals requiring rescheduling of appointments or procedures. And despite its IT team's efforts to reinstate access to impacted services, Ardent was unable to provide a definitive timeline for the restoration process, which obviously I always harp on about it on this podcast. The Irish health system uh, was hit by ransomware and then given the decryption keys, but even then services were impacted for well over a year. So this is a very slow, painful process. And I wish that IT team the best of luck in recovery. Some of the Patch Tuesday for this month, at least Patch Tuesday related follow news has started to trickle through, but it has been relatively slow going. I did notice in the patch mailing group, uh, some were reporting that the Nook 8i7BEH devices, those Intel Nooks, are having Thunderbolt problems with the Windows 11 Pro KB5032190. It stated that after installing that update, the Thunderbolt port no longer supports USB 3.1 Gen 2 devices after a reboot. And when the update is rolled back, the Type-C port works correctly again. So hopefully this one is fixed sooner rather than later. And finally, to wrap up the news this week with something AI related, Salesforce surveyed more than 14,000 global workers across 14 countries for its latest iteration of a generative AI snapshot research series. ZDNet reports that the research shows over a quarter 
28% of workers globally are currently using generative AI at work, and over half are doing so without formal approval of their employers, with an additional 32% expecting to use generative AI at work soon. It's clear that obviously this technology and its penetration into the workforce will continue with or without employee approval. The survey revealed that 64% of workers have passed off generative AI work as their own, and 41% of workers would consider overstating their generative AI skills to secure a work opportunity. The survey found that 71% of the workforce believes that generative AI makes them more productive at work, and nearly 6 out of 10 employees say generative AI makes them more engaged at work. As far as career benefits, 47% of global workers believe mastering generative AI would make them more sought after in the workplace, and over 51% believe it would result in an increased job satisfaction, and 44% say it would mean they would be paid more than those who do not master the technology. So personally, I was really excited about ChatGPT uh, when it first became available, but I've found kind of diminishing returns. I've been using it less and less as the months go on. Uh, just some of the results are not desirable. Uh, I do use it quite a bit or did use it for trying to just generate PowerShell scripts and found that it made some very silly mistakes. Uh, sometimes it's great as a starting point, uh, it produces errors and then I can just quickly fix those errors. In other cases, it just generates code that's using uh, parameters uh, for commandlets that are not accurate and was never accurate. It's not even using dated information. Uh, such parameters never existed. So it can be more work than it's worth at some points, but for certain use cases, it's great. I haven't tried Microsoft Copilot yet. I'm excited to try that out and see uh, what that is very good at versus ChatGPT. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's really cool transformative technology, uh, but it's not without its limitations uh, as of right now. But that's it for the news for this week. Let's cover some scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, Rakesh Jain had a tweet, or rather a series of tweets, on the topic of mastering Linux troubleshooting. It's a thread with 20 commands that will empower you to troubleshoot Linux systems like a pro. So if you're maybe new to Linux systems and you only really know Windows, this can be a useful jumping off point. And Thorsten shared a blog post from a few months ago by Patrick Grunier, which shows you how to document all group policy objects using PowerShell. So that's it for this week's episode. It's another kind of shorter than usual episode, which is nice in a way. Uh, there hasn't been that much patch Tuesday fallout news this month either. So maybe organizations are still holding off on patching too widely. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how uh, December goes on that front. Uh, also, I'm going to be traveling next week. So I figured I'd get the episode out a little bit earlier than usual, which means there's less days between episodes, so a little less news. Uh, next week, like I said, I'll be traveling, so I'm not sure what day I'll get the episode out. Uh, but as is usually the case, I haven't missed a calendar week yet for getting an episode out, so there will be an episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week.